And I think if we zoom out and think bigger picture, um, we're building obviously on top of LLMs, but we also embrace them ourselves from an engineering standpoint. So uh, we use obviously uh, the co-pilots. We use our engineering team uses GPC every day and mm-hmm. just run them out uh, coding. I would say we've easily increased our capacity 10x in the last six months from wow. using these co-pilots. Uh, it's, it's really, really genuinely extreme. Yeah. Um, and I think we're obviously in a position to do that because we're, you know, we're, we're, we're we understand the models and we're building on top of them. Mm-hmm. If project out like three to five years, it's, it's pretty obvious that every technology company is going to um, be um, in, uh, at that level as well, right? And we're going to see this at least 10x improvement in speed across the board. Wow. Um, <clears throat> the thing about it is, it's like if you're moving 10x faster in the wrong direction, mm. <laughs> you're not doing yourself any favors. Right. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Future Product. Today, my guest is Pierce Healy. He's the co-founder and CEO at Zelta.ai. It's the AI product that helps you understand what your customers want without sitting through hundreds of calls. Pierce, would you mind telling us a little bit more about yourself and, and your journey in tech uh, before Zelta? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Max. Um, so um, as you mentioned, CEO of Zelta, we started the company last September, so pretty early stage, but we're, we're hitting a real uh, need with the market, so at an exciting point. Um, before starting the company myself, I was a, a strategy consultant at McKinsey um, and before that Deloitte most recently. Um, for the majority of the time, my consulting served technology companies and really helped them to use voice of the customer and to build better products, make more targeted marketing campaigns, mm-hmm. uh, and generally drive more growth and customer satisfaction. Um, so a lot of that background really bringing into um, what we're building at Celta. Um, my past life probably serving bigger companies with Zelda, we're serving kind of a 500-ish um, scale companies. So slightly different uh, uh, nuance to the problem, um, but really the, the big picture is all the same. Very cool. You uh, you mentioned the term voice of the customer. Would you mind explaining kind of like what that means to you? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, different scales of company, they're going to have different kind of interaction channels with their end users or their customers. Um, but typically speaking, um, we'll analyze data sets like support tickets, survey feedback. Um, we're starting to see probably with our most recent customers of the early stage companies, it will be recorded sales and success calls. Hmm. Um, and basically any touch point with a customer is something that we want to bring into Zelta um, and use it to inform product strategy. Perfect. Yeah, I, uh, I've heard a lot of people express a need for, for what you guys provide. Um, so I'm sure people are going to want to hear a lot more about it. But just to kind of uh, take a step back real quick, um, you consulted for some pretty big names, right? McKinsey and Deloitte. Uh, what motivated you to go from, you know, kind of giant consulting firms to building an AI product? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, kind of specific problem that I saw on the ground when I was consulting is um, I frequently served the head of customer support and tech companies as my client. Um, and really, they would be mostly interested in um, finding out um, from their support agents, support tickets, where there are where, where opportunities to save costs. So uh, we'd use machine learning to analyze tickets and look for um, the cost of resolution for different types of issue, the efficiency across different agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also play this role of basically being a heartbeat for the rest of the organization. And um, so serving up insights to product and marketing teams on kind of what the customer's top issues were at any point. Um, and, Really, I saw like friction on both sides of that scenario. Um, so support, basically not wanting to do this extra activity that they don't get mm. rewarded for in sending data to product. 
Right. Um, and probably their marketing being frustrated that they couldn't really just kind of self-serve on the data that they needed. Um, mm. The systems of record and support, like uh, the, the kind of big names everyone knows about, they're set up to basically give the head of schools for support the, the data he needs and not really mm. too interested in giving product and marketing and um, what they'd be looking for. So that was kind of brain, I guess, behind starting Zelta and, you know, the, the problem that I saw in the market. Um, I did have some experience uh, basically uh, uh, building a startup within McKinsey, as we call it, very okay. different to a, uh, a real life startup, but mm. uh, basically building a software product within, within the firm. And um, it's one of the things that, McKinsey, especially over the last five years, have tried to do is differentiate some of their offerings by uh, building software products to kind of uh, um, um, in, in some of the more tentatized analysis they do. So I had some experience building out a, a, a product within the firm and um, found that it was a, a really energizing experience for me and um, something I kind of uh, wanted to do um, in, a, in a bigger way. Um, and I guess I've probably always had the ambitions to, to do a startup, but um hit the hit the pressure point last september we pressed go on it so haven't looked back since right on right on would, would you mind talking a little bit more about kind of that product that you built within um within the consulting firm yeah um so really um you know consult, consulting especially strategy consulting is literally taking data from customers and generating insights from it right. um and uh, one of those uh, categories that we built in the product brand was basically uh tech strategy automation product. Mm. Um, so we would take um, survey data from customers, survey data from internal people, um, combine that with some financial data um, and essentially kind of uh, somewhat automate a, a technology roadmap uh, from that perspective. Um, it would never be the, the kind of end result, but a mm. starting kind of conversation point for our clients to work around. Um, and so the uh, building that out within the firm was kind of engaging with stakeholders across the globe to get input on that. Um, we ended up getting it live with hundreds of clients. Um, it was a, a key piece of a lot of the engagements that I was working on. Perfect. Now, very cool. That's uh, I'm glad that we set the stage. So, so kind of moving to Zelta, right? Would you mind explaining just in broad strokes how your product works? Yep. Um, so the big picture is really to um, kind of build this customer insights platform that can be used across the full organization. Um, but today we specifically focus on selling to product teams and SaaS um, as kind of the obvious uh, most uh, engaged user that we could go after today. Um, for that user, um, especially within a sales-led organization, um, sales and success calls are probably the key thing that we, we analyze. Mm-hmm. And so automatically pulling product insights out of those channels. Um, so. For example, from sales calls, we're going to pull out product gaps that keep coming up and as reasons for people not to buy your product. Right. Uh, feature requests from existing customers, um, automating some competitor analysis where um, it's coming up on calls and people are comparing your product to the strengths and weaknesses of others. Mm. Um, and really kind of at a high level, giving um, three things to the PM. One is, in most cases, they are attempting to do this manually today. So we're mm. automating that task. Um, secondly is basically alerting them to churn risks and growth opportunities that maybe wouldn't be obvious uh, without being on all these calls themselves mm-hmm. um, and thirdly then just giving a, a source of truth that got, got a market and product can align on is basically the top customer priorities because uh, a typical challenge that most software companies face is that um, you'll get a different opinion on the top customer needs from say sales and products um, and incentives are not exactly aligned between those two groups 
um, at a very kind of simplistic level, sales kind of think about winning customers and product think about winning markets, uh, right. which um, um, causes this friction of like what the top priorities might be. And so with customers, our customers use Zelta, um, they have a, a source of truth for the first time on like what the actual top customer needs are. And if, if sales and product are having a conversation, they can point it at data as being like um, one, one, one quantitative way of saying, you know, what the top needs are. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. So it sounds like there's kind of a, a reactive component, which is what people are saying, kind of the feedback that they're giving um, kind of across these distributed conversations. And then B, kind of the signals that you're picking up on and kind of prompting to say, hey, there's a churn risk here. Um, would you mind talking a little bit more about that second piece, the proactive kind of signaling? Yeah. I mean, for us, what that means is calling out specific accounts as being churn risks to start with segments or personas that maybe um, aren't aren't uh, responding as well to the product offering today um, on the on the growth side we can we can call out um, first of all repeated product gaps to keep coming up and are maybe losing those deals um, or even scenarios where maybe a sales rep has promised something that's not in their product roadmap um, right. and if, they, if the customer does sign up they're probably not going to be too happy I see. Um, so a bunch of those proactive notifications, I say, is like definitely a key piece of our product. Um, and then alongside that, you know, the same data that we're tracking is also just a repository of information. So that when mm. the PM is planning a new feature, uh, they can go into Zelta and see all of the use case data they already have from customers on that. Um, and then if needed, they can follow up with the customer from there. You know, they already have a, a list of people who are probably going to be interested in that thing. Um, and I'd say today, like our, as I said, our, our, our buyer is the product team, but even at this very stage, we're seeing some interesting use cases for the full organization. And okay. so sales and marketing being obvious ones, like mm-hmm. product of a new feature, still some customer feedback. We want to close the loop. And, and if it's a, a prospect that a, a sales mm-hmm. rep is speaking to and they've brought it up on a past call, mentioned to them that that's now being planned for some point in the future. Um, and also personalizing marketing campaigns then. And so instead of sending a, a generic uh, product update email, that it's, a product updated email that's um, personalized to the end customer. So, you know, you asked for, we looked at your feedback last quarter and you said these things and now we're actually building that, uh, which is a a lot more engaging and, you know, um, from a customer's perspective, shows that you're actually listening to them. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, that is definitely something that I've seen product teams struggle with in the past, right? Um, When you guys were designing the product, was, did you have that in mind, that kind of like land and expand type of motion um, with, you know, having a core with product teams, but then also being able to plug into sales, marketing, and provide real value? Yeah, to be fair, we did. And that was always the big vision. I think we were surprised how quickly that came about. Um, mm-hmm. um, specifically because we've really designed the product to have a the lens on the data that a PM would be interested in. Um, mm-hmm. And we've uh, allowed our customers to basically add as many users as they want with a fixed price for the moment. Um, and that's created some interesting scenarios where the product's getting used already in those different use cases before we mm. expect. And um, so it's something I still think is kind of putting more longer term. We've a lot left to do to just make sure that our, our, our current uh, customers love us. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll be focused on products for, for, for the foreseeable. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious already that you know, that's going to be where we end up eventually. Right on, right on. I, I love that kind of feeding, building those fo- feedback loops into the product, right? So, you're you're hyper focused on product teams, um, and I've seen that that's that tends to be kind of like the hallmark of of successful products in this industry, right? Is you have one core customer, and as valuable as you may be to others, it 
you know, working in marketing, I can tell you how, how difficult it is to balance that messaging when you're going after multiple ICPs, right? Um, mm -hmm. So having that core of, of providing value is, is everything. Now, when you were um, working in consulting, you said that you had you kind of come across this problem before, right? Where uh, product teams are doing a lot of this stuff manually. What yep. does that process actually look like tangibly? Yeah. So, I mean, there's probably three, three scenarios. Um, one is that the individual PMs are doing it for themselves. They're basically getting data from support tickets. They're getting data from surveys. They're getting data from salespeople that they speak with or joining customer calls themselves. Um, and if they're equipped, they might be doing some sophisticated data analysis with that. Mm. Um, in a lot of cases with the bigger companies, they'll have a team dedicated to this. Um, so they can have a product ops team who's responsible for triaging all this data. Um, they've got a research team who's doing some of this work. Um, and then obviously, in some cases, they're using consultants um, mm -hmm. at, the, at the large scale. Um, so, yeah, we see kind of across the board. Um, and it's, um, it's uh, I think, from our, from our standpoint, the... The ideal scenario is companies who want to do this, but today just don't have any process and we can just kind of build it for them. No, right on. Yeah, I would imagine, you know, budget for consulting or just the pure labor hours aren't available for a lot of teams who would like to really capitalize on that feedback a little bit better, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I would imagine with all of this data in the form of language, right, LLMs are kind of yeah. the, the defining force here. Would you mind explaining a little bit just under the hood of how you're working with LLMs to make this possible? Yep. And so we work, it's, we're working with like a fleet of LLMs, I would say. Uh, they all have their different uh, benefits for different tasks. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, GPT-4 is like the most powerful, but it has uh, a shorter amount of data that you can get into a mm -hmm. prompt. Um, so for different tasks, we use different models and we're constantly kind of iterating on that stack, I would say. Um, but the language models are definitely, are definitely like the why now for this category existing. Um, for the first time, we can take this like very unstructured data and actually um, kind of quantitatively visualize on top of it. Um, I would say in our case, one of the, um, I think, lucky things in our history was um, the latest models from OpenAI, so 3.5 and 4, coming out in January was right around the time that we were actually kind of building our product. So okay. we were able to take advantage of those and, um, specifically for call transcripts, they're probably the noisiest data set you could possibly work with, um, right. especially especially sales calls. Um, yeah. because, uh, from a, a PM or marketing standpoint, there could be you know like one percent or even less of those calls that's relevant, um, and right. uh, that noisiness made it um, quite difficult to do anything with those transcripts before even like six months ago. Um, mm. So when we first started out, Zelda it would have been quite challenging to do what we're doing today, even like last September. Um, and I think as a result, some of our competitors actually um, ignored calls from, as a starting point. They, they went after other data sets. So um, if you think about like support ticket surveys and online reviews as the other data sets you might consider, they're much more structured in comparison. Um, and the, the signal to noise ratio on those is, 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 is much lower. So, uh, or much higher, sorry. So uh, basically we had the opportunity as like a, call it a late comer but uh even our, our competitors are all pretty early as well but we had the opportunity to basically go after the, the piece of the market they've been ignoring so um that's what calls us to focus on calls got it got it so uh having you know just done a little bit of transcription through ai for the podcast i can say it, it can be a bear right it can definitely be challenging to to actually get it accurate were there any significant challenges around that and if so how have you guys dealt with that 
Yeah, so I'd say like, and like from from the standpoint of like working with calls, we're we're plugging into the existing systems that hold them. So we'll uh, we'll pull data from the likes of Gong, uh, right. Zoom, Fireflies, etc. So mm-hmm. the sales success teams that are already using those, and the product research team will typically have their own solution for recording calls. And um, so we're not doing the speech to text ourselves. Um, that's kind of a, a solved problem that we don't really need mm-hmm. to do. Um, and we found like the, the language models are incredibly good at uh, dealing with with poor transcripts. Uh, okay. much, much better than a human actually. Um, like they can deal with spelling mistakes. They can deal with mm-hmm. uh, you know, words that have been mistranscribed by just kind of understanding full context. Um, and if, if you ever do read transcripts, it's actually quite a taxing thing for your brain to read because they are mistranscribed a lot of the time. For sure. The language models are very good at dealing with that and basically uh, still re- retain the context. Um, I'd say that the challenge in this is is more so with the uh, volume of data, really. So um, if we take one example, GPT-4, um, an individual prompt can take maybe a quarter of a phone call and would be like okay. the max limit you could push into the API. Mm. Um, and the, the beta version of GPT-4, the 32K token version, that's not out yet, um, that would be like one phone call. And so um, basically at no point in the next two to three years do we expect a scenario where we can pass hundreds of calls, which we're doing to the API and get a response. Um, and for that reason, we've had to um, kind of be very creative in our solution um, for what we're trying to do um, because um, we're not just trying to do individual analysis on calls. We're doing this aggregated view, like what are your customers talking about in aggregate across all these issues? So mm. uh, it's a challenge that um, we're solving in steps. We have a, a solution that works for say 50 calls and then we have a solution that works for 100 calls and that breaks at, at 200 calls and right. there'll be an ongoing problem as we try to scale this up. Um, mm. But I guess the nice part for us is that, um, you know, tough challenges mean that if you solve them, you're, uh, you're building right. some flexibility there. So totally. uh, it's a nice problem to have. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And it sounds like you guys have a pretty good head start in terms of even doing this in the first place, right, with the call transcripts, which I can totally see how valuable that would be, right? Um, yep. So what what are kind of some of the outcomes, workflows that you see Zelta enabling for product teams, right? What, what is the uh, the grand sweeping kind of goal for this? Yeah, I mean, the most the most obvious one will be justifying the roadmap, which is like essential mm-hmm. for any product team. Uh, but And today, like, calls them big challenges. So if something is on there, uh, it's pivotal that they're able to explain, like, why that has been prioritized. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there's a bunch of different data sets that are used to do that today, but it's it's it can be a political battle um, mm-hmm. because everyone has a different opinion on what the top priority is. Right. And so we would see probably the biggest uh, immediate kind of use case for Zelta is, like, uh, our customers are copying the insights from our product and pasting them into the roadmap is like, uh, we're doing this because 86 customers asked for it last month. Um, mm. Go look at the data yourself if you don't believe me. Yeah, no, I love that, right? I mean, it's something that I've talked about with um, a couple of other founders who are in the data space specifically, right? Is um, it, It's kind of a pulling all the data together, right? So we, we've had these distributed islands of data across different departments for a long time as kind of the norm. But today, what I'm seeing is a lot of that data centralizing and then basically data islands reaching in and kind of being able to pull from that data, right? So what you're yeah. doing is arming the the non-technical people, the people who are just advocating for the voice of the customer to say, hey, here's some empirical data on what our customers are actually looking for out of our product. Yep, absolutely. And I think what's, what's critical to this is you... 
need to be pretty opinionated in the questions that you're answering and the way that you analyze that data. Right. Um, it's not necessarily a, 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 a data set that you can, um, you know, just combine together and give complete flexibility to the end user on anything they might ask. Um, so for us, it's like the, the, the insights we're generating are, um, are pretty specific to like the, the, uh, the customer that we're solving for. Mm. Um, and we've, uh, that's obviously something we continue to iterate on, but it's, I think it's in, in any, any given use case here of a large language model within an enterprise, um, you need to really know what use case you're solving for to do it well. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's crucial. It's crucial. So kind of extending that point, uh, are there any kind of practical success stories that you'd maybe want to share about Zelta that, that you've kind of enabled thus far? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, our, co- our core customer set is, uh, as I said, uh, sales-led SaaS, mm-hmm. where you know a, a lot of the things that we're recommending are pretty mundane, like uh, mm-hmm. integrate with HubSpot or do X, Y, Z, right? Nothing, we're not, nothing um, too interesting to most people. Um, but I'd say one interesting example we've had uh, was actually from a, one of our earlier customers was a, a media company uh, who's like less our target market now, but mm-hmm. one we worked with early on. Um, and an interesting example there was the AI had learned from the customer interactions that um, their product was getting used by a lot of people as essentially a um, um, a replacement for um, they're feeling lonely essentially, and the and the product was actually uh, uh, they found like the product was like this um, animal character based. Uh, media products and a lot of people interacting with it were basically like lonely and they were finding that like interacting with the characters was like you know um helping them feel better about themselves Mm -hmm. um and the ai learned that that was like a key need that the product was solving for this end user it it suggested as a recommendation to basically create interactive versions of these characters using generative ai and uh, basically allow the end users to actually interact with the characters they're watching Uh In these in these snippets and um, in a and, and use generative AI to do it. And I think what was interesting about that is obviously it was a, a really like cool insight, but also mm-hmm. the fact that the the AI is kind of uh, suggesting it should reproduce itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it understands its own capabilities and was like applying that to what it learned, um, which is like somewhat of a scary thought. Yeah, I guess. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was cool to see, and like for the customer, it was actually like a really uh, incredible idea and um, almost leads to like a, a full like pivot of their company in that direction. Um, wow. So that's uh, one cool example I can give. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. I uh, Yeah, I mean, there's a part of you that wants to question the model's motives there, right? But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but how, do you, um, how do you go from, you know, insight to recommendation? That, that seems like quite a step. And it's pretty amazing that you're able to actually make these kind of high confidence recommendations. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd say like our starting point was like let's give you data and like mm-hmm. let you make the decisions. We've mm-hmm. transitioned in the last couple of months to being more recommendation focused, okay. um, and I think it's it's something that um, we push less for our customers because ultimately like we're selling to the people who should be coming up with the recommendations. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's a starting point at least, um, and it gives you kind of an off the shelf like um, here are some things that we're seeing in your data, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Basically, on the recommendation side is probably the part of the application where we're letting the AI run loose the most. Uh, we're giving it basically the most flexibility to just to just kind of use its brain power and come up with things. So it's more black box than other parts of our application that are, like say, very specific. 
Um, but we've seen a really great response to it. And, and typically speaking, the, the recommendations it comes up with are things that the company is already thinking about. Mm. Um, this might not be in the same order. So right. um, right. Delta's like, here's the top 10 based on like what we think the expected customer interest is going to be. And mm. um, there'll be things they already know about. Um, but um, that order of priority is an interesting input to that conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's super interesting. You know, I, I uh, it's a recurring theme definitely that AI is, is seemingly best used with interesting or novel data sets, right? So you guys have found this very novel data set that you're really the only competitor in the market that's that's looking through, right? And then yeah. I think that it, it kind of nullifies some of the concerns around the black box when it's it's purely an output of the data, right? So the first issue is getting that high quality data. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think the other thing is at this stage of AI, at least, the use cases that make sense are ones that have a um, uh, a uh, low um, impact of bad decisions being made, mm-hmm. right? Um, like if we make some product recommendations and they they don't take off, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a that's just a, as expected for any software company, right? Right. Um, in scenarios where the decision needs to be one hundred percent correct, I think AI today is probably less suited. Um, so, you know, the obvious ones being like, let's say, legal or, or health mm-hmm. scenarios. Um, but um, I think where we are today with AI, what we're doing, at least it, it's, uh, you know, there's, 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 not, there's not too much of a risk in taking the AI's recommendations right out. Right. Right. And it sounds like a, a lot of the time it kind of corresponds with what they're already thinking. It just kind of helps rank order that by what's actually heard by the customer. Yeah. And like within our ranking as well, it considers like the revenue potential of the mm. of people who said things. And I think it's one okay. thing that's like a nuance of uh, selling to sales like go to market mm-hmm. companies. It's, they don't think about users as individuals. They think about them as being belonging to an again account, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, when we're making recommendations, it's not at the user level, it's at the, it's, it's taking the context about the company level. So if a company has a really high revenue potential, we want to push that higher up in the, in the ranking. Mm-hmm. And all of that's considered in the weighting of these recommendations. Right on. So this is a tool that is made for product teams, right? It seems like you guys have a very tight product focus. How do yep. you see kind of tools like Zelta and some of the other ones that are coming out right now changing the role, you know, as we go forward two years, three years? Yeah. I mean, our ambition really, to be honest, is to, t- is to bring the customer closer to uh, decisions and products. Mm-hmm. Now, the intermediary for that today could be uh, product teams. Um, where we're giving them the data to do that. Um, but I'd say the problem that we're trying to solve is really just the, the multiple middlemen that is mm. between what customers are saying and what's actually getting built. Um, and I think if we zoom in and think bigger picture, um, we're building obviously on top of LLMs, but we also embrace them ourselves from an engineering standpoint. So uh, use obviously uh, the co-pilots we use, our engineering team uses GPC every day and mm. just run the mode uh, coding. I would say we've easily increased our capacity 10x in the last six months from wow. using these co-pilots. Uh, it's, it's really, really genuinely extreme. Yeah. Um, and I think we're obviously in a position to do that because we're, you know, we're, 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 we understand the models and we're building on top of them. Mm-hmm. If I project out like three to five years, it's, it's pretty obvious that every technology company is going to um, be um, in, at that level as well, right? And we're going to see this at least 10x improvement in speed across the board. Wow. Um, the thing about it is, it's like if you're moving 10x faster 
in the wrong direction, mm. <laughs> you're not doing yourself any favors. Right. Uh, so, right. in a scenario where every company can move 10x faster, it puts a lot more uh, em- emphasis on making sure that you are actually going in the right direction. And so, we see Zelda fitting into that world of we have if we have theoretically infinite engineering capacity, mm. let's just make sure that we're building the right things. Zelda can help you do that. Right on. So. Would you say that it's it's still, you know, at least for the foreseeable future, going to be humans taking it from zero to one, even if AI is able to scale it from one to 100? You mean in terms of like actually taking decisions from Zelda and implementing? Yeah, I mean, I would say like what you said, right? Sprinting at high speed in the wrong direction, I think is everybody's fear, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so like, the, like definitely for the foreseeable, it's going to be... Uh, you know, there'll be humans taking the outputs from Zelda and then mm-hmm. still prioritizing those based on what they on what they know. And at the moment, at least we are, you know, a subset of the overall decision. There's other factors involved as well, right? You know, the company's overall strategy. Um, there's other data sets like, you know, interaction data that you want to consider as well. So mm-hmm. longer term, we'll probably try and take more of that pie as well. And yeah. um, for the moment, we're, we're one input, right? Right on. How do you yeah. guys kind of, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people question, especially with data products uh, that, that utilize AI, how they can trust and have high confidence in the recommendations and the insights, right? How do you guys kind of back up what you're saying there? Yeah. So what we've had to do is basically every single insight in Zelta gets linked to source data. And okay. so every feature request is backed up by specific quotes that you can mm-hmm. click through and see in, in the original call or the original support ticket. Every recommendation points to explanatory source data for why I came up with that. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely essential uh, to people being uh, uh, able to use our product and believe it. And also from the use case of like justifying the roadmap, the AI saying we should do it is not enough. We have to get at the actual customer source data. Right. And, and it's also probably the biggest challenge for us from an engineering standpoint um, is maintaining that link. And because I think mm-hmm. one of the things that LLMs don't do out of the box is like say, this is how I came up with this, right? Right. And so it's quite a lot of work for us to actually like make sure that um, it's giving insights that come from home source data. And mm-hmm. that um, so, yeah, no, I, I can definitely see that. That it's you know, we also have a, a an AI product that that works with product data, right? And it's something that we're still figuring out, and I think a lot of people are. Is the concern that if you ever give a wrong answer, that trust could be gone, right? And, and I understand with you guys, it's a little different because there's a rank order and you know, you're know you linking to the data directly, but how sensitive do you think that you know users of AI products today in kind of these, these early days should be to incorrect data, right? Is, is that a reason to abandon a product? I think that if you can't, so the LLMs have a massive propensity to hallucinate and make things up. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if, if you have a product that can't show its work, right. um, I would have a very hard time believing anything it says, to be honest, yeah. uh, because it's, 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 it has a very high propensity to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so critical for us is basically putting guardrails around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, you know, I, I don't, from a model standpoint, I'm sure it's something that they are focused on is like how they solve that problem. It seems like today, at least the LLM is like rewarded so much from just giving an answer that it will mm. never say, I don't have an answer. It will prefer to just make something up than, you know, right. Right. Um, than say it doesn't, it doesn't know. And um, so it's a, it's a, it's a problem for sure. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so pivoting slightly, um, is this is your first venture, right? Like your first startup yeah. that you founded? Wow. So as a co-founder, you know, what has that journey been like for you? Are, are you enjoying, you know, founding a company? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I think, I think for me, and like, especially as a CEO, it's like, this opportunity to put all of your tools to work, right? Um, like, uh, you're not just doing one thing, you're doing a, a hundred things. And um, like that for me is, 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 is the most energizing thing. Um, and also it's, uh, it's, it's, I think it's, 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 it's the most clean competition out there, right? You're mm. competing with everyone else. It's like at the end of the day, it's like whoever builds the, uh, the, the most customer beloved revenue generating company wins. Um, right. And, you know, that's a, you know, you could, you could say there's advantages that people have, but at the end of the day, it's meritocracy. And, you know, I think for, for all of us, that's, that's, uh, that's energizing. So yeah, I, I've loved it. Awesome. <laughs> good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah. And you have a co-founder. Yeah. Would you uh, mind talking about kind of what your process was for, for bringing on a co-founder? Yeah. So there's actually three of us, uh, okay. three co-founders. Um, okay. And we, uh, we all actually know each other a long time. Okay. Um, we're from Ireland originally, um, founding team, and we were in the US through different paths over the years. Um, so, on the center points of the three, I recruited uh, uh, Connor and Michael, mm-hmm. uh, two best guys I knew. I, I, I knew for the for basically the roles that I needed to fill there. Um, so, um, I, I kind of get most energy from working on products and like mm-hmm. from left my own devices and not doing all the other CEO activities. That's mm-hmm. where I like to spend my time. Um, it was important for us from early stages. I felt to build a, um, a sales-led motion, right. and um, co- one of our co-founders, Connor, was previously leading sales for a startup that sold a customer insights product. So similar to Zelta, was there from zero to twenty million ARR. So through the full gamut of, of spectrum, um, and then Michael, our, our CTO, was in a heavy like data ML background. And mm-hmm. um, a key thing for our products is like we have quite a lot of complexity in running like parallelization across these data sets and he's worked at an extremely large scale before. So um, we split up responsibilities pretty cleanly in that regard. And I think one of the things I would probably say we have definitely learned and would be advice to anyone else starting a company is yeah. that roles and responsibilities in a founding team are very important. Yeah. Um, I think we were in a nice position that we kind of felt like we had our own lanes and we could mm-hmm. uh, kind of own those. Um, but particularly important if there's overlap there that, you know, everyone knows which part they own because um, that's uh, essential to yeah. make decisions. No, absolutely. I love that, right? And it's, uh, it's kind of augmenting what you're best at with, you know, the people that you trust that, you know, can do kind of the other things when when you need to, you know, just go in your product hole and, and really focus in, right? Yep. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about kind of GTM, right? Uh, you guys have a really interesting kind of ICP, uh, are you all, would you consider yourself sales led? Yeah. I mean, for the moment, at least, um, obviously early days were very founder led on right. sales fronts. Um, our, our go to market is pre- predominantly outbound for most at the moment, but, mm. uh, we actually recently joined, uh, Gong's marketplace, oh, very cool. um, which has been a surprising inbound channel already. Uh, yeah. we get a couple of week basically referrals from Gong. We've actually had oh. two customers get referred from them. Um, which is zero acquisition costs from our standpoint, right. so fantastic. Um, and there's probably 20 other marketplaces like Gong mm-hmm. that we think will be good. Will will give us a similar result. And uh, basically, the 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 synergy there is we're 
extending those systems of record to other teams within the company. So mm-hmm. sales reporting side, Gong, um, within like support, Zendesk and Intercom, same scenario. And basically taking those data sets that those, that those products collect and using them for product and marketing teams. Very cool. Very cool. I, uh, that's a great example, right? Um, would you, so if they're coming in through Gong, right, they're, they may be more on the sales marketing side then in that case? Typically speaking, it would actually be product people um, within companies that have Gong um, who are frustrated by the lack of analytics in Gong for their needs. Gotcha. Um, And then if you go into the Gong help center and search for product analytics, you get brought to Zelda's page. uh, Perfect. How how they come to us. So, Yeah, so kind of your ideal customer there, right? Yeah, no, exactly. They're they're, they're pre-qualified and uh, uh, coming in straight. So, you know. Yeah. It's amazing what partnerships can do, especially I think in, in those early days as, as you're kind of transitioning from founder-led sales into, you know, like a, a more sustainable sales motion, right? Um, what yeah. have your guys' biggest challenges been thus far? I know that you're, you're pretty young still, but um, just to this point. Yeah, I mean, technical challenges, I would mm-hmm. say, the biggest one um, that we, we hit every single day and we're continuing to hit. Um, mm-hmm. it's probably, I, I think there's a massive... Um, misinterpretation or under, under underestimation of what of, of, uh, sorry overestimation of like what you can do out of the box with models mm. um, uh, but I think there's like within the app layer for LLMs there's a, a spectrum of, of technical difficulty by use case mm. uh, and it's 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 a uh, it's not equivalent like on the, on, the, on, the, on the one hand you have kind of like you know pure wrapper companies who are passing a, an input to an API and giving a response and then on the other end you have scenarios where you're using data, doing some analysis on it and using that to drive workflows. And mm. I'd say even within that use case bucket, there's a, a spectrum of, of difficulty level. Um, and we're definitely on the outer end of that for what we're doing. And mm. uh, so uh, it's, uh, uh, yeah, co- constant technical challenges, which are, you know, somewhat pure technical nature and somewhat like, how do we, how should we build this from the standpoint of the use case that we're trying to sell for? And um, so we spend, I'd say, all of our time as a team brainstorming on on uh, how to basically deal with that constraint and come up with something that works. Gotcha, gotcha. If you were to kind of give some advice, um, just given your experiences here, some of the technical challenges that you've faced and overcome in order to to build Zelta, um, what would your advice be for you know new entrepreneurs who are hoping to enter the AI space? Yeah, I mean, I think it's you know it's probably pretty standard advice, but it's it's to, it's to take the MVP route because um, it's a uh, there's you can spend a lot of time building a really scalable system for a problem that doesn't exist, and um, certainly in our case, we we started with something that worked for a very small amount of data uh, with a very constrained amount of output, um, and we've just kind of iterated from there. Um, and I think the same is kind of will be true of any software category, but definitely here because um, there's a large difference in in um, in the applications you can build in a kind of MVP capacity versus what you might build in you know production. So, absolutely, absolutely. And what what would be some guidelines that you would kind of set for for when somebody should know that they've reached that MVP? Yeah, um, I mean, we have from the get-go really pushed to charge all of our customers. Mm. Uh, I think you know um, there's a lot more pressure generally in the market today to have revenue-generating products, and you know, I know there's so many products that I use that if they ever charge me, I would stop using them. 
And I think, you know, you can, you can uh, kick the can down the road yeah. too far on that point and end up, you know, in a scenario that you're not in a position to pivot. Totally. Uh, so for us really up front, we were very uh, proactive with making sure that, you know, people were actually going to pay for this thing that we're building, even right. if like it was duct taped together and not working hmm. as hope they won. Um, so uh, that's definitely something that I would say for us, at least we, 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 uh, we put priority on. Right on. What, what do you view your kind of early customers as, as partners in that sense then? Um, because I definitely think that, you know, from kind of in that model, there needs to be buy-in on both sides, right? So A, this is a valuable product. You see the value, so you have to be willing to pay for it. And B, you know, as a founding team that's working on this product and you've entrusted us with it, um, we're going to take, obviously, your feedback into consideration as we build it. Um, is, is that kind of the way that you guys see some of those early relationships? Yeah, one hundred percent, and and they they all did have a very direct impact to how the product is built, and I think that's you know that's that's the that's what that's the benefit we can give them for paying something early is you're going to get a say and have this built right. Mm. Um, and what you're looking for as a startup is you know the the early adopters, right? The people out there in in the world who you know have this need so painfully that they mm-hmm. uh, they're actually willing to buy something that maybe isn't isn't fully fleshed out yet. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think uh, I think a lot of product teams probably have this need, even if they don't realize it, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, hundred uh, percent. I'll say actually, kind of uh, an interesting we've seen like within the early adopter pool of like mm-hmm. people we've been, like resonated the most with, and um, it's probably actually vertical SaaS. Oh, okay. Um, whereas some interesting nuance to it is, um, if you're selling a product, if you're building a product that gets sold to other software companies it's pretty likely that your product manager in engineering can somewhat intuitively understand the need. Um, right. Or if it's a product like a CRM, it's pretty simple, right? right. You, can, you can get on, on board with that pretty quickly. If instead you're selling like something like, you know, construction SaaS or like mm. something very like niche and like nuanced some area, it's actually very unlikely that the PMs that you hire from other software companies are going to have any interpretation of what the user's needs are. Mm. And so within companies like that, you have a product that is probably not intuitively understood by the product and engineering department. So a lot more emphasis on um, basically customer feedback uh, mm-hmm. because they need that data to make decisions. They can't just right. kind of like sit in the room and brainstorm and think about, you know, what, what, might, what might be there. So that's probably the area of market we found like the most burning needed and probably what mm-hmm. we focus on as a result. Makes sense. Makes sense, right? It's how close are the people building the product to the need, right? So if you're an engineer and you're serving other engineers, that's a pretty easy yeah. kind of answer right but if you're an engineer and you're serving construction managers right and it's a it's a very different one yeah exactly so um looking ahead where do you kind of see you know ai and I'm, I'm gonna say in general moving and and specifically kind of uh product management tools kind of moving yeah so our somewhat ambition from the start, and I guess we still think it's a, a potential future for us, is to um, product managers and people building products, engineers are always told, you know, speak more to your customers. Like the number one mm-hmm. advice is just like, spend more time talking to customers, right? Yeah. For a lot of reasons, that is a, a, a difficult task, right. a non-scalable task, um, and something that in reality is just a, a, not a, a, a luxury that most companies have. Mm-hmm. So our ambition was to basically um, give you that same insight that you would get talking to all those customers without necessarily having to be on the calls. Mm. Um, and the route to that was by taking the data that already exists, all the touch points that already exist, and giving you an answer. Um, and today we're doing that with this like insights dashboard, but 
a possible future for us is that we could almost um, kind of synthetically replicate your personas in, a, in an AI format. So okay, imagine wow. you're, you're, you're working on some new feature mm-hmm. and you know, instead of like lining up three interviews to talk to somebody about it, let's let the AI pretend they're that persona and see how they might respond mm-hmm. based on all the context we have on them. Um, and that's something we still think is, is, is a, you know, a future for us and something that yeah. we will eventually build. Um, the starting point to get to that point is basically the, the data on your customers, the context. So um, once we have enough data from our customers, we, we think that's something we can do is basically allow a PM to have a conversation in Slack with Zelta mm-hmm. with their customers. So add, wow. add, add Zelta to your Slack channel and basically it's like adding, your, adding whatever customer persona you're interested in to that channel. That's fantastic. I mean, I can think of a thousand reasons that would be awesome, right? <laughs> yep. That's amazing. I, uh, you guys really are leveraging LLMs kind of to their strengths, right? Because it's something that I've put into practice, just even with ChatGPT, I almost think it's a prerequisite to say, hey, you are this, right? It, it helps the model kind of differentiate and, and narrow its focus down quite a bit. Yep, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, feel free to answer this to whatever level you want, but... Do you have yeah. any hot takes on the state of AI and, and kind of the tech industry today? Like, I think VCs is just her animals, right? Like, you mm-hmm. see one, like, kind of firm come out, or phone come out with a thought piece, and then all of a sudden, everybody thinks that that's the case, right? Right. And then later, something new comes out, right? Yeah. And I think over the last six months in AI, we've seen that, like, taken to the extreme. Totally. Um, and I think uh, um, if you went back, like, five months ago, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the emphasis was on the infrastructure layer, as they call mm-hmm. it. Right? Um, so obviously the model layer and then like the tooling around the models, the standard like picks and shovels thesis, right? Right. Um, and we were looking at that and we were like, it seems like just kind of a obviously wrong position because like quite obviously the models were going to get commoditized, right? Even right. if opening was the, was, the, was the leader, like it was, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there was a matter of time. Really, Clearly, others coming up after them, like it was, it was something that, like, uh, you know, and, and I think when GPT four came out, it was like ChatGPT came out, and it was like, wow, the world's changed. GPT four was arguably a thousand times better than than the GPT three point five, and no one really cared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when GPT five comes out, I'd say literally no one will care, right? Right. Uh, because there's this like tailing off of like uh, of of um, marginal benefit almost, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like an an interesting chat with somebody on this and there it was like they gave an example of um like 4k televisions right mm-hmm. it's like everyone, everyone has a 4k tv right now if, a, if an 8k one comes out like is anybody that interested <laughs> in buying one right right, so, you know, right. it's probably it's pretty good i don't really care that much right? <laughs> and like i think we've actually already reached that point with ai where yeah most like business tasks mm. is pretty much already good enough. Like it's pretty much at human level. So mm. do we need it to get smarter? Is that going to actually make anything more different? Like Interesting. maybe in some other niche use cases, it has a bigger impact, but for run of the mill, like kind of applications that are doing this, mm. like what we have today is basically good enough. And um, so it feels like we're already at the point where these models are going to compete on price, not on value. I see. Um, and that, uh, that will be where things go in the future. Hmm. Um, and I think additionally, the dev tools that have come out, first of all, we were not using any of them. We would try them all and be like, I don't know why we're supposed to be the customer of these dev tools. Right. Um, and not really seeing why we would need them versus like the things we already had. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet they were all getting funded and we were like scratching our heads on that one. Right. Um, and 
that was playing out. And then I think only over the last month or so, I've started to see a change narrative. Like people kind of being like, hmm, actually the infrastructure bit uh, looks like it's either being commoditized or just actually not that interesting. Right. And that like a lot of like the real value creation from this is that like the application layer. Totally. Um, which I think we, in six months' time, I expect to be the dominant narrative, not to be like the, the mm. you know, interesting companies to all be in the app layer. Right. Which, like, I don't know if that's a hot take or not, but it's. Uh... Oh, that's great. And I would definitely agree with you on that, right? Um, yeah. I think that's pretty funny. I wonder if some kind of VC letters are going to come out kind of reiterating what you just said pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely what we're seeing. Like, mm. like, uh, um, from my perspective, like the 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 the, the opportunity to, to create value with this is if you own the customer and you own that workflow, right. and the stuff that's happening under the hood, the infrastructure, uh, mm-hmm. the person who's paying for your product does not care, right? It's, totally. uh, right. So it's it's what value have you created for me, right? I don't care how flashy the tech is, how new it is, how fancy it is. I actually think that it's it's one of the big kind of differentiating factors between AI and crypto, right? Which from just a media perspective have very similar trajectories, right? But I do think that where AI kind of outpaces it is in its actual usefulness and, and applicability to all of these different use cases. I mean, it's it's so hilarious that they are even drawing the comparison, right? Right. Um, right. Like, like we're, we're basically just saying here's two trends and yep. just, just because they happen to be trends, we're going to say that they might have similar paths, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like crypto was like we're going to build a new universe, right? Yeah. Uh, AI is like we're just going to make things cheaper and faster mm-hmm. and uh, uh, more simple, right? Like so, right, like, <laughs> right. In our equal benefits, yeah, very, very different investments, I would say. Well, um, Pierce, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate you joining me. Um, where can people find you, follow you? Yeah, I mean, so we're Zelta.ai is a website. Um, you can also get me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, and yeah, we'd, uh, we'd definitely love to hear from any product teams who uh, feel like they have this problem. Perfect. You heard them, guys. Zelta.ai. Check them out. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks Max. Much.